As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Football League show. Preston felt low on Saturday, got low on Wednesday. A Quackers midweek draw saw a duck stop play at Fleetwood. And which championship manager are we speaking to? Well, to paraphrase the Kaiser Chiefs, I predict a rowet. I predict a rowet. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Blimey, it's a good job we went to two shows a week, eh, listener? How else would we be able to dissect this much EFL news? Uh, I'm Matt. Joining me to talk through another tumultuous week in the English Football League are stalwart Sam Parkin. Hi, Matt. Hi, Sam. And reliable Ross Embleton. Oh, reliable. Morning, Matt. <laughs> sort of almost damning you both with faint praise in a way, but, you know, you'd rather be reliable than unreliable, I suppose. Very much so. Um, Right, as you might have guessed, Gary Rowett will be on the pod later and we'll be hearing from the EFL boss Rick Parry too. But first, a look back at the midweek action. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It'll break at the back post here. Can they get a strike away? Real chance and it's in! Plymouth have been threatening this equaliser and it comes by way of Conor Grant. Jakku onto his left foot, shoots, big deflection, will he go in? He has! It floats over Carl Etheran. Listen to this Sunderland fans, you've scored five tonight. Skillfully moved forward, they're in again here Cambridge and there's a chance for Ironside who scores his third, it's his second half Patrick and it's five for Cambridge United. Uh, Sam? Pick some games that stood out for you, please. League One and League Two, both busy schedules, plenty going on. It's hard, isn't it? Because there was so many thumpings, like resounding victories. Um, I suppose Charlton's victory over Ipswich for a number of reasons really caught my eye. Obviously, probably the most uh, complete performance that Johnny Jackson's team have, have put on it. It really could have been five or six. Um, looking at the highlights, I think Ipswich only had one shot, actually, and, uh, and Charlton completely dominated until... Gilby made the, the three points secure with a, a brilliant goal. I think that's a really underrated goal, actually, because there's been some perlers this week, but it, it was wonderfully taken. And I suppose the reaction of the Ipswich fans, um, John McGrill, his, his first game in the in the technical area. I remember speaking to John after a Colchester game 
uh, a few years ago and he had them going really well. So I thought it was quite a sensible appointment in the short term. He's got good experience, obviously, um, in, in the lower leagues, knows Ipswich Town well. Um, so, yeah, that wasn't particularly great from them and the scenes afterwards as well. It's um, a bit of a, it's a bit of a breaking point. It's a bit toxic right now. So they need to get that managerial situation sorted and, and fascinated to see which way they go. So I thought that had, you know, a, a number of different stories on it, that game, aside from all the teams that uh, racked up loads of goals and the teams that got bashed. Ross, on Ipswich, if if you were a manager looking to get that job and you saw those scenes at full time of the players and supporters having a row, would, would that put you off in any way? Does, does that sort of emphasise the, the size of the task there? You've got to unite a club rather than just get a team to win? Yes, I think it would. It, whether it would put you off, I think it would give you, certainly give you like reservations in, in some way, shape or form. I think you will always, or there'll be people out there now looking at that job still with the um, excitement of where they can turn it around to and probably look at it, look upon it, I suppose, with glass half full and sort of say, right, I'll go in there and I can turn it around with a few good results. We know that's not always as, as sort of easy as it seems. So it will be a little bit of a concern, but I suppose as a new manager, you'll go in there, clean slate, um, you know, look to start again, look to, 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 to build it up again and try to get people on side quickly, which like I say with a hopefully with a new approach and a couple of a couple of good results might start to swing it in a bit more of a favourable and more positive direction. Uh, those top three in League One, Sam, all winning, uh, none of them particularly convincingly, I, I would suggest, even though Rotherham had a big win in the end, they were behind that. They've all had to face some adversity. Wigan very, very late they left it to get their victory. But but those three still can't pull away from the rest, but big victories nonetheless. Yeah, and um, Rotherham have got an, a really nice looking fixture list. I think Burton, who are currently 10th, is the only team they, they play in the top half in the next 10. So they're kind of rubbing their hands together. And that was another uh, tick in the box the other day. That's the first time they've been behind, I think, in this 19-game unbeaten run. Um, and as you said, Matt, listening to some of the reports, they weren't at their complete best which is ominous for for everyone else in the division because they still they showed that power from set pieces um and I made the point last night that on quest that I just think that spine of the team remains from the last time they got promoted and you know I think that gives them a, a great start alongside keeping the manager as well so yeah they they're going wonderfully well Wigan were really fortuitous in, in in their victory. I thought Shrewsbury actually did a pretty good job up there. And had they showed a bit more um, ambition, that could have been a different result. They just retreated a little bit. And when Wigan have got the array of quality four players, I suppose a, a late goal is always liable to happen. And it's happened loads this season. They are the masters of, of scoring late and taking points. So probably shouldn't be too surprised. But yeah, I think it, there was a scare, wasn't there, for certainly Wigan and, uh, and and Wickham over the last 48 hours, Rotherham a bit more comfortable. League two-wise, Ross, we'll, we'll talk the uh, parking Embleton derby shortly, but <laughs> Har- Harrogate Town getting beaten 4-1 by Forest Green is one that stands out, you know, Harrogate tailing off a little bit. But Forest Green, is anybody going to get anywhere near them? They're, they're 10 points above the playoff places at this stage. It's it's almost at the stage where we talk about bookies are starting to pay out and that kind of thing. 
Yeah, and I think obviously with the run that they're on at the moment, it's, it's is it eight eight unbeaten, four wins on the spin, and I think. I remember being on here previously and actually Harrogate were on a really, really good run at the time and, and we talked about um, where they were and how close they might be able to get to Forest Green and, and, and there's been no let up from Forest Green so far this season. So I think that um, from the League Two teams that I've seen across the board, there's some really good sides in there, but I think Forest Green have had that that relentlessness. They've kept, they've kept that... Um, good positive style of play that they've had over the last few years but really added a lot of energy a little bit more steel to the way that they defend and they're very very difficult to play against as well as being a good team with a ball so um, I can't see it and haven't seen right from the beginning of the season that there'll be any let up from them at the moment because they've been by far the best team in the league so far. Uh, Sam I imagine the mood on the Sutton coach on Tuesday night was sombre uh, 2-0 up against Newport, down to 10 men, then lose 3-2 to a 93rd minute penalty. Yeah, it, w- it would have been. I, f- I felt for Adjiboy when I saw I saw those goals for the first time last night. Oh my goodness. Um, the the first one that he picks up what, right on the, the touchline, um, wide right and just slaloms beyond three or four challenges. It's a sumptuous goal. Uh, so he'll be feeling sick. Um, the challenge was a red card, although he, d- he didn't mean it. Uh, it wasn't malicious, mistimed, definite red. And um, the the Newport gaffer, again, showing, in, uh, I think, tactical awareness. He, they can flip-flop between systems, Newport. I think they always have. They've got players who can, they've Scott Bennett, former teammate of mine, can play centre-half midfield. Dolan's another one. And I think he changed a few things around at half-time to be a bit more offensive, as you would do against 10, but he was proactive. Uh, and obviously they, they came back in to, to win the game and, Dolan, someone that you won on that penalty last minute, it kind of feels that it happens a lot. I remember when they moved to Cardiff last year, he scored um, a couple of really important goals. He's got a lovely left foot. And um, yeah, I can't recall which Sutton player gave away the penalty, but he'll be kicking himself on the coach as well because a point would have been a, a magnificent return for them. Let's talk about this game that you were both at then. Um, Ross, 4-1 to, to Orient against Swindon. Were they as superior as that would suggest? Not not across the whole game, I wouldn't say. I thought um, Swindon, as they do, dominated the ball and dominated possession, but albeit without really hurting anyone. I thought, thought the first half was a little bit nothing to, until sort of the back end of it, really. I think it was when it came out in the second half, Swindon didn't really get going in the same manner. Uh, and Orient were a lot more aggressive higher up the pitch and, and had a lot more moments where they pinched possession or I thought the front three... In, in Drynan or, or, or Drinan, not quite sure how you pronounce his name, Smith and, and Kemp were really lively to keep things alive. And, and when you've got a little tricky player like like Kemp with the ability that he's got, he's always going to create openings. But two superb crosses into the box by Archibald. And um, in the second half, really, Orient were, were a lot more powerful and they, they sort of overrun Swindon, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, a little bit little bit sort of nothing in the first half, quite even, really. Uh, two different styles, but, but Orient certainly turned up the tempo in the second half. Smith and Drinan slash Drinan starting to tear up the division a bit, Sam. I notice in, in all comps, Orient have scored four goals in three of their last four home games and, and they're catching up Swindon now. Yeah, they've they've handed out some some thumpings. I think it's quite a good converse, conversation. Who's the best front two in the division at the moment between those guys and Stevens and Matt at uh, Forest Green? I don't think there's probably a lot between them. And I thought 
looking at this game in isolation, the contrast between Orient's front two and Swindon's front two is quite a good conversation because they've done brilliantly, McCurdy and Simpson, but it's not an orthodox front two. McCurdy's a free spirit, none more so than the other night when he had a running battle with the officials, the Leighton Orient fans, then uh, Swindon dugout, which he volleyed when he came off. Um, And I had real sympathy for him because he's a... He wears his heart on his sleeve. He he plays with a smile on his face normally. And I think sometimes referees can get caught up in that. He got booked for absolutely nothing. Then the Orient fans are on him. All of a sudden, Ben Garner's got a decision to make and he had to take him off, which was probably to the detriment of his his side's chances. But my, my point being really is that even though Smith and Drinan aren't v- veterans, they're streetwise, they know the positions, and it's um, one competing aerially and the other one's a runner, which um, Swindon are a little bit off the cuff, which will win them games sometimes. But you'd want Smith and, and Drinham week after week right now because they're consistent and such a threat, as Ross said. And it was quite, I agree with everything Ross said, but one of those days when you come up against two front players who get supplied with good ammunition by their teammates makes it difficult for the opponent, but I thought Swindon helped them in a, defensively. They were really poor. Someone said that they were reactive rather than proactive. And I think that sums it up quite well. Ball coming into the box. Oh, I better run with a marker. I better try and close that space where you, you've got to predict or you've got to get closer, I think, and feel the centre forwards when they're in such a rich vein of form. So I was disappointed in that regard, but I can't be harsh on Swindon. They were going for a sixth straight away victory. They've just drawn Manchester City in the cup. They're sitting pretty in the table with a squad that definitely needs a new centre forward and a new centre half to bolster things in in January. But it's been a brilliant start to the season and the amount of supporters they're taking to every away game shows just how well they've started this campaign and how good everything is is going for them. Sam, just as a striker, when you look at the two ways that the two teams play, the Orient, the Orient team have not got as much of the ball as Swindon at whatsoever, but the strikers are a lot more involved in the game. Orient don't really mess about. They get the ball into an area where they can run after it or have a fight with the defenders and work towards their strengths. But from Simpson's perspective and McCurdy, I feel like their frustration comes from because Swindon have so much of the ball, but they never actually see a lot of it front two. How does that, Definitely. How does that feel with someone standing at the top end of the pitch waiting? I think frustrating. For for a young player with the attributes that Simpson's got, yeah, definitely. I think he probably gets a bit more joy away from home when there's a bit more space for him to run into. But yeah, I think it's a pertinent point even with McCurdy because in the first half, you get such a brilliant view up on that gantry at Leighton Orient. I'm watching him and he's coming deeper and deeper and taking up stranger and stranger positions. And the rotation's not bad of the midfielders. I think Payne and... Um, Gladwin recognise that and, and go a little bit higher. But it, yeah, I think it, it probably is frustrating. Frustrating. I mean, I think the first goal came from the inability of one of the centre-halves just to play a little bit longer. And um, I think it ended up in a late and orient throw and, and Swindon never recovered. So that is the style of play. You'll know, Ross, from your, your tenure at Swindon that sometimes you've got to hold your hands up, I suppose, as a, a management um, team and say that's the way we're asking them to play but I, I definitely feel that an out and out centre forward to be a different option would, would bolster their options and definitely improve their chances of um, competing this season 
Uh, elsewhere in League Two, Oldham have apologised to Tranmere after a, a group of what they call so-called supporters attacked and smashed up the Tranmere team coach after the last gasp defeat that the Latics had suffered against Rovers on Tuesday night. Oldham said the vandalism was deplorable and offered an unreserved apology. So that was the midweek. Uh, there has been managerial movement since last we spoke. On Monday, we asked what next for Preston. Well, the answer, unbeknownst to us, was to sack Frankie McAvoy and bring in Ryan Lowe, who's left Plymouth to move up to the Championship and closer to home. Uh, Ross, do you think this is a good appointment? He's, he's got a good reputation, hasn't he, Ryan Lowe? But he does leave a team that had lost their last three games in the league in a row under him. Yeah, I think obviously I'm sure come on to Plymouth in a minute, but that that was one of the one of the recognisable things is that they're not on an unbelievable run at the moment themselves. Um, I know obviously you know no secret of where and whereabouts in the country runs from. So I think from from a personal perspective and you know the fact that it's a it's a step up a level will obviously be a real incentive for him. And I I personally really like the way that Ryan's team's playing. I like the way that he. Um, he carries himself as a manager. So from a personal perspective, I think he's a good good appointment. Um, I believe he's taken Mike Marsh in with him as first-team coach, assistant manager. I'm not sure of his title, but that'll be the the uh, interesting concept of it with the fact that Schumacher's stayed where he is. Um, I believe that they've been a really good partnership. Having gone up against them, I know that you go in and have a drink after the game and there's always a really good atmosphere in terms of the way that the way that Ryan manages and the group of staff that he has around him. So I think that would be really interesting to see how that works for him. Um, obviously, I don't know what his relationship is like with Mike Marsh, but it's obviously not going to be as as familiar as, as what he's had with him. So it would be interesting to see how he carries that on and the way that that dynamic works when he goes into his new club. And, and hopefully, from his perspective, he can hit the ground running. But I think to answer your question outright, it is a good appointment. Uh, but it will be there's a lot of sort of unanswered questions, I think, within it. Sam, have Plymouth supporters got the reason to feel aggrieved that he's left the mid-season or should they just be magnanimous about somebody getting to work at a higher level and, and go home to their family every night? I think the latter, really, because we, we just know what a precarious business it is. And look at Richie Welland as an example, which I think is a good example because won the division with Swindon and... Um, his last couple of jobs haven't gone particularly well for him and his stock has fallen enormously. And what's to say if Plymouth went on a, a drastically bad run now that Ryan Lowe's name wouldn't be in the mix for jobs. So it's like players. As as tough as it was for me to lose, leave Swindon at the time, it was a no-brainer, you know, because that those opportunities might not come again. And it's the same for Ryan Lowe. He's got a great reputation, perfect club, big club, um, one of my biggest regrets that I didn't sign there uh, when I had the opportunity when they were flying under Paul Simpson, well supported, close to home for him. And recently he'd been playing the same system that he likes. So he can go in there and maybe put his imprint on, you know, the same setup, the same structure, and and hopefully their results will will improve. So I think it's a really good appointment. Someone was going to take Ryan Lowe and it, it was only a matter of time really before he moved on. Well, his first game in charge is at home to Barnsley on Saturday. As Ross said, Steve Schumacher has taken over as Plymouth manager. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, Derek McInnes, among the names for the Ipswich job, last seen at Aberdeen. Sam, you've played under him. What was he like? Really good. Bubbly. Still fit enough to join in training. 
loved his assistant as well, Tony Doherty, who's, um, I think he was involved in uh, Scotland at one point. They they normally come as a duo. They certainly, um, he followed into to Aberdeen. Did a sterling job there, really, uh, in terms of making them compete regularly at the top of the league. When I was in, up in Scotland, uh, you know, Aberdeen was not a, a place you feared going, really. But I think they, they turned them into a force again. Uh, turn them into consistently, you know, finishing the higher echelons of that division. Um, but yeah, it's um, he's very hands-on on the training ground. He joins in quite a lot. And he's an Owen Coyle disciple, I believe. So um, you do the volleys on a Friday and the, the loser brings in the juice, they call it up there. That's Coke and Iron Brew and lemonade to us and um, the cakes from the local bakery. So um, I was having to get up early on a Friday to, to bring them in quite regularly. But yeah, he's a good, good guy to play for. looks after the players. What would you go for? Iron brew, Coke or lemonade? You're not mixing them up, surely. <laughs> the, um, the, the, the Scottish lads used to love that by the end. Well, not even by the end. We'd go to Nando's or for a pizza or whatever after training and I'd get an iron brew. And it wasn't even keeping up with the appearances. That was just what I did. No, like, you are actually more Scottish than us. <laughs> I like an iron brew, to be fair. I mean, can't be very good for you looking at the colour of it. Uh, Abby's just put in the doc that Frank Lampard is also being mentioned for the Ipswich job. Mm. Um, Ross, that, that feels like a bit of a leap to go from getting a team into the Champions League to managing in the lower reaches of League One. Yes, I mean, I suppose it's Ipswich, and and we'll all look back at their history, and 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 you know, probably have the viewpoint that is it a League One club? It obviously is right now, so I think that would be a, a long shot. I I've thought about people like Jody Morris, you know, obviously a link to Lampard, but probably someone that that would have that little bit more attachment to his first opportunity and to going into a club like that, but at the same time would have a profile of. Obviously, being at Chelsea and Derby with Frank, so um, it'd be interesting to see if he did and and what his um, mindset and viewpoint would be with regards to players and recruitment and things like that. Because I think that's the other side of it. It's not just about taking a team into the Champions League and the players that he would have worked with. It would have been the whole concept around what being manager of Ipswich and what it takes to get out of that division that would be... Um, a huge focus to anyone going into that role, but from someone like Frank Lampard's perspective, it would be uh, a, a tough, a tough approach for, in, in a completely different way to a lot of other people that would be, I'm sure, interested in the job at the moment. It's got the look of an Ed Sheeran fan. Maybe that'll swing it. Uh, we'll have to see. Right, here's some recommended listening for you. Once you're done with us, over on the Athletic Football Podcast, Mark Chapman and Matt Slater have been speaking with the EFL chairman Rick Parry about everything from scrapping parachute payments which Rick's in favour of, to who's to blame at Derby. Uh, Also, the attempted cost controls over League 1 and 2. Here's what Rick had to say on that last topic, a revelation that left Chappers incredulous. And these appropriate cost controls, I mean, obviously you did try with League 1 and League 2, and certainly a huge majority of League 2 clubs were up for it, a a, a significant majority in in League 1. You never actually tried it on with the Championship. You never actually went as far as a vote. The PFA obviously didn't like it. And you had to you had to unwind the rules. Where are we at now with 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 cost controls in the championship? Well, the, the other point, the other reason we couldn't do it in the championship was the Premier League objected, and we were bound by their FFP rules um, because they thought it would be an unfair constraint if the clubs coming down with all that parachute money couldn't spend it. Hang on, Rick. Hang on, Rick. Hang on. Hang on. The Premier League can object to what you're trying to do in the EFL, but you can't. You can't have a say in what. 
they what their rules are in the Premier League that might affect clubs coming into the EFL. Yeah. That's how the part. hell is that? How the hell does that work? Because it's part of the solidarity agreement that the EFL signed up to. In condition, in a condition of getting the solidarity payments from the Premier League is we have to uh, adopt their rules in the Championship. I think what um, when what what I noticed from a really difficult time managing during COVID with the EFL was pretty much that message that that. that 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 short interview there puts across is that there was very few people within the organisation that could or wanted to step forward and say, this is where we're going, this is the direction that, we, that we're heading towards, these are, these are the things that are important to us, this is what's going to help you as a club or a group of people or obviously um, a group of clubs within, within the divisions that they're responsible for. And that clearly paints to me the answers as to why we could never get any answers or any help or any direction with massive issues that obviously we're still faced with, but certainly at the time were was a critical period and, and clubs had no idea of what the right direction was to turn in. And when you went towards the people that were in a position to, to give you that support, um, it was always very uncertain and, and, and very often there was there was no outcome to it. So I think that paints a clear picture of a completely different topic and completely different subject, but relevance to certainly something that I can, I can familiarise with back a year or so ago now. Yeah, it's going to rumble on and on, isn't it, Rick Parry? Doing his best to try and get a piece of the pie from the Premier League for the EFL. Whether he's successful, only time will tell. To hear the whole interview, just head to the Athletic Football Podcast. Uh, but not yet, because next we're speaking to Millwall boss Gary Rowett. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Burnley fan Graham. What's up, Graham? Well, it's Christmas, Paddy. Uh, not a Grinch, are you, Graham? Oh, I love all the midweek fixtures, the quick turnaround between games. So why so glum? Well, it's the work Christmas party, the five-a-side drinks, schoolmates, dinner. Makes it very hard to watch all the football. The Premier League is non-stop this December, so make the most of it with Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power. Pre-match online Bet Builder bets only min odds one to five per leg, min four plus legs, max free bet ten pounds per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Season season supply eighteen plus. Be gamble aware. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an Athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. Last weekend's fine win against Birmingham has left Millwall within touching distance of the playoffs. The game also saw boss Gary Rowett celebrate his 100th game in charge of the Lions. Gary joins us now. Uh, 100 games in then, Gary, to your time in, in South East London. Do you feel like you're just getting started in, in what you hope to achieve in your time at the club? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think when when you look at um, you know the 100 games, obviously a large proportion of that have come with no fans there. So it doesn't doesn't feel like... Certainly, we've had you know over two seasons at the club, but but nevertheless, I think you know we, we've we've shown. I think the the aim first coming in really was to try and solidify ourselves as a championship side. I think the club that had predominantly been you know up near the sort of playoffs and then down near the bottom, and we wanted to kind of be, be challenging up for the playoffs more often than not. And, and we've done that for for two and a bit years. I think and the challenge now uh, and the challenge for most championship sides, of course. Is how do you make that next step when perhaps you haven't got the the obvious finances to 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 get there? Uh, may, not not easily because a lot of teams have done that, but you know to get there and, and and buy your way into those positions. You know we've got to work incredibly hard, and 
and uh, we'll continue to do so. But it's been a really enjoyable two and a, two and a bit years, I have to say. And it, it, the problem, I guess, with making that leap from from playoff contenders to, to actually getting in there, you know, you look at the table this season, you think there's there's maybe one or two playoff places up for grabs, but there's maybe 10 or 15 clubs going for them. It's so tightly clustered, isn't it, from where you are all the way down to kind of 14th, 15th. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I think we won uh, against Birmingham to go eighth. And I think if we'd have lost, we'd be somewhere around 14, 15. So, so I think that shows that you can't, Take read too much into where you are in a league at the moment, and you just got to try and build those points nicely and build that run of form and you know that consistency around your team. Because of course, this division's all about consistency. I think any team can win a couple of games, any team can lose a couple of games. But but what it's hard to do is it's hard to put runs together where more often than not you're picking up three or one points. And and um, you know that, that that's the biggest challenge. I think we've we, we we've done that to a certain degree. We need to score goals like we did against Birmingham and, and, and be more clinical. We've created quite a lot of chances. And and often that's the difference, isn't it? You know, between can you make it into the top six? You know, I did it a few years ago at Derby and we had so many attacking options. And, you know, the composure in front of goal was was um, the likes of Matty Vidra, you know, was, was the difference in that season. What we've got to do is we've got to find that within our squad. And, and what I would say is the last two or three games, you know, some of the strikers have really stepped up and started to, to hit some form, you know, Tom Bradshaw, Ben Akafobi, and we're going to need that all the way through uh, along with the other forwards. You've been in management for, what, a decade now, most of that in the Championship. Have you noticed much change in the division during that time? I'm thinking in terms of style of play, you know, the standard generally, the calibre of manager that's in, in the league now. Uh, I think the calibre of players and calibre of manager, I think, you know, just, just from a... From a numbers point of view, you know, the better the Premier League gets, the more money that comes into the Premier League, the more the talent gets squeezed down into the Championship. You know, when I look back, probably when I first started in the Championship to, to, to the quality in the division now, you know, I think it is it has moved on quite significantly. Um, the managers that are getting jobs in the Championship that were very, very good Premier League managers, you know, I, get, I think shows how hard it is to remain at this level and how hard it is to be consistent at this level. I think the biggest factor for me is the championship as a, as a as an animal hasn't really changed. You know, it's incredibly competitive. You know, it, it, it's still a really physical league. Uh, the frequency of game, the games don't change. You know, the fact you're playing 46 games rather than 38, I think is a, a huge ask physically at the players and, and dictates you have to approach things in certain ways, you know, to, to get through the season. So, so I don't think that's changed. I think the quality certainly has changed. And, and um, I think the football, you know, has get, got better and better over that period of time. And, and you know, I, I, I love watching championship games. Forget managing in the championship. I think it's a great, great division to, to watch along with the other divisions. In terms of Millwall, we've seen the, the likes of Billy Mitchell and, and Danny McNamara break through into the into the first team. It's it's a hugely competitive area in terms of recruitment of young players, isn't it? But but at the same time, South London's such a rich source of talent over the last few years. You you must have to work hard to to convince the top young players that Millwall's the best place for their development because there, there's so many options around you for players to go to. Oh, it's incredible. It's so difficult. I mean, we, we, we're talking on a sort of weekly basis of some of our better youngsters in the academy getting poached by Premier League clubs. You know, you're not just not just the Premier League clubs around us in London, but the Premier League clubs all over the country. And and I think that's a real challenge for any uh, EFL club. You know, the way that it works now is 
if a young player doesn't want to re-sign for you, then and a big club's going to pay compensation, it's very, very difficult to stop that happening. But it's a shame because when you look at people like Billy Mitchell, like you mentioned, Danny McNamara, uh, we've got Tyler Bury that played, uh, Hayden Muller that played last season, uh, Alex Mitchell that's on loan at Leighton Orient, um, Isaac Alaffey that's on loan uh, at Sutton United. You know, we've got a really good crop of young players coming through. Uh, and, I, and I think of all the clubs around, you know, in London, I think we're one of those clubs that I think there's an opportunity for young players to come in and see what you know, the championship's all about, you know. So so for me, that's better than going to a Premier League club and and ending up in a wilderness of, of lots and lots of young players. You know, for me, go and get some first-team football. And, and the likes of Billy Mitchell, Danny McNamara have done excellent for us and been a huge factor. They're both Millwall boys. They both know what the club's all about. You know, and I think it adds a little special touch to it. It's certainly much easier for us to try to develop our young players and give them an opportunity than it is to buy the best young players around in the EFL because as we know, you know, that's 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 not an inexpensive thing to do. At the other end of the experience spectrum, Jed Wallace been a, a key player for you for some time. He did a really good job co-hosting this podcast a couple of months ago as well. Um, out of contract at the end of the season, does that mean you're already planning for, for life without him or are you confident you can convince him to stay? Well, firstly, I, I'm not surprised that he co-hosted the podcast. He co-hosts training most days. Um, he's, he's lively, Jed. He's got. He's a really good character, a really good personality. And, and I think you know what 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 we've done this season is you know he's been fairly fairly clear in terms of where he's at at the moment. You know, he's he's sort of a a player at the top of his game. He's a player that's out of contract at the end of the season. Of course, you know, he wants to take his time just to explore those opportunities. But whilst he's doing that, he's remained fully committed to the team and to the club. And I think his performances have, have, have showed that. So, you know, we have to we have to accept that's the situation with, with any player. Um, of course, we'd love him to stay. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we've we've sort of sold that to him in terms of where, where we're at. And we'll be patient with him, you know, if it means we have to wait till the end of the season, if it means in January... He gives us an answer. Of course, you don't want to lose your best players, but sometimes it's always inevitable that either your best players move on one way or the other. And we have to show that ambition as a club. You know, we we want other clubs to want our players. We want our players to be ambitious and want to play in the Premier League. You know, if we don't expect that, then we're not doing the right things in training every day. And so, uh, but Jed's an integral player. He's a really good personality, very popular in the group. And hopefully the main thing for us is that his performances continue to be top level in, in, in this division because that will be a big factor in us trying to to, uh, to get into those top echelons of the league. Uh, right, Gary, we always finish with a, a really difficult, super uh, tough question. So here's yours. You've been working in South London for a while now. <laughs> right, I, I, I'm putting you on the spot. I appreciate that. But but it, it's a serious question that demands an answer of a man who's been working in South London. Uh, pie and mash or jelly deals? Oh, blimey. Neither, but if I had to choose one, I'm sorry <laughs> to offend all the Londoners. Uh, pie and mash, I just don't. A few people have shown me the jelly deals. It's just not for me. I don't. I don't. And I've got a, a fish allergy, so it's probably not a good idea for me. All right. Well, listen, next time you're on a day out, get the boys down to Mansey's in Peckham. It's the best pie and mash shop in London. I'm sure they'll thank you for it. I'll take that on board. Absolutely. Many thanks for your time today. All the best for the weekend and for the rest of the season. Brilliant. Cheers. Gary Rowett there. Ross, they got Peterborough at the weekend. That, that ought to be a win for Millwall. I would expect so. 
I think um, he touches upon it, doesn't he, in the interview there, talking about his front players and how important it can be. Um, he says about the, the front players or the forwards, the strikers in his group, but I think there's a, obviously a focus and a, uh, a tendency to lean towards Bradshaw and a phobie, and I think if you, if those two are in form in any way, shape, or form or, or anywhere close to what they're capable of, it's going to be a tough order for, for Peterborough to get anywhere near them, so I would expect to see him pick up a win at the weekend. Strange that he doesn't like pie and mash, but anyway, he's doing yeah, a good job. Really strange. Uh, <laughs> right, we'll get to previewing some of the weekend's games in more detail next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. Uh, in the championship, Sam will be at Kenilworth Road to see his old club Luton go up against league leaders Fulham. Luton, part of that cluster of mid-table teams who, who might be eyeing a playoff push come the turn of the year. Is that overly ambitious, Ross, or, or is it achievable for them? Um, I think it's achievable in terms of the way that they've they go about their business. So, I, what I really liked about the reaction from the weekend was it. it it came across as a game where they were without the ball, which I think they would probably expect to be with, with Blackpool. But they they wanted to find a response in terms of their previous performances about the way that they defended the box, about how they were set up tactically to to not leave themselves open. And um, they, they found that. And I think with what they've got going forward in terms of Adi Bayo being the handful that he is, I think it's always going to be a possibility that they can have a little run and get themselves close. I think it'd be tough, but at the same time, I think they're certainly going to be capable of running it somewhere close. Like I say, going to somewhere like Blackpool at this time of year with the weather being the manner it is, it does ring of that Tuesday night um, cliche, doesn't it? But to go there and do that and pick up the result that they have done shows a bit of steel. And then like I say, I know off Nathan Jones's previous comments that he wanted to see a reaction I think he was disappointed in himself, but at the same time disappointed in the way the team had defended up to that. So they've shown a real real attitude to go and get a good result, but do it in a manner that, that he'd spoken that he wanted to see some some reaction from. Uh, Carlos Mendes Gomez hadn't started in three months before last weekend, but Nathan Jones said he'd been brilliant in training. So he started him at Blackpool and one would assume that he'll feature again here. As for Fulham, Sam, unbeaten in 10, but but drawn their last three and, and no goals for Mitro in that time. It's uh, it's crisis time down at Craven Cottage. Yeah, Mitro's blown up, hasn't he? Um, I think he's a bit under the weather, wasn't he? So maybe just recovering. He had plenty of attempts, that said, against against Bournemouth. Just couldn't find a goal. Um, but yeah, they've scored 26 goals you know, away from home. Only Bournemouth taken more points. They've been wonderful to watch on the road. But this is a banana skin. You know, I know they've lost the last two Luton at home. But, you know, this is the type of games the supporters absolutely relish at, at Luton. Coming up against a, a team with bigger resources. It's always been the way the last, you know, 10, 15 years when, when I was there. Used to love these games, trying to turn over the bigger teams in the, in the division. And big contrast, you, you speak about Mendes Gomez, you know, Luton 
two of the well three the three forward players all been plucked from from lower leagues gone with that youthful exuberance taking a bit of a chance which you you have to admire um and Fulham with established stars you know all over the piece and the, the one thing I was thinking coming into this game on the back of that Bournemouth draw Tom Kearney coming on time and time again in affecting games can they get him into the starting lineup um in front of Reed uh, or, or Seri or is he going to be a perennial super sub and coming on and affecting games so I think that's interesting going going forward for this game but no qualms about them dropping off I thought it showed a good trait that they came from behind against Bournemouth kept making opportunities kept knocking on the door they play on the front front foot and yeah I'll be expecting goals in in this game I'm probably expecting both teams to get on the score sheet but maybe Luton not being able to match the amount that Fulham can uh, plunder yeah, if history is anything to go by, there really ought to be goals. First time they met since Boxing Day 2019. It was 3-3 that day. Bobby D. Cordova really equalised in stoppage time. Hasn't been fewer than three goals in any of the last eight meetings between the teams. All the way back to 1997. 0-0 incoming. Uh, Bournemouth versus Blackburn at Dean Court looks at a particularly spicy meatball, by which uh, I mean an appealing football match. Uh, Rovers can do no wrong just now. The Cherries have been picking off opponents all season. Win for either team would be massive here. If Bournemouth get it, they'll be 10 points better off than Blackburn. If Rovers win, the gap will be just four points. So probably going to be a draw then. Um, Sam, let's talk about a Bournemouth player we've been impressed with who isn't Dom Solanke or Jaden Anthony. Oh, he's only played one game, but I'm going all in on on Steve Cook. Partly because he came on the pod, didn't he, before the playoffs. And uh, well, I hope Ivan Tony listened to it because he was um, very forthright about the way that was going to go. And uh, gave us some great stuff, but oh, what a comeback! What a comeback! And I think that's the that's the biggest thing here for Bournemouth. Scott Parker was pleasantly surprised by the way that these young lads hit the ground running at the start of the season. But he would have loved to have had Kirk and Pearson and um, Smith uh, for the. And I could could go on for the entirety of this season to give him those options and probably take the young lads out on occasion. So. I think that's really important for them moving forward. Um, Cook was superb at Fulham in keeping Mitrovic relatively quiet and um, comes into contention, of course, to partner Gary Cahill in this one. And um, whether they stick with the four, the back four and the the diamond with the split strikers, which got them the result, or if they revert back to the back three will be fascinating against the Blackburn team who are so vibrant, so good counter-attacking at the moment and and, uh, have... uh, the second or third best striker in the division, depending on your persuasion. And um, yeah, Solanke's obviously in brilliant form as well. So this, again, 3-2 last season. I remember it, opening day of the season. Should be a brilliant game. Uh, Like Fulham, Bournemouth have drawn their last three. They've actually only won one of their last six, which seems odd because we've been saying all season about how those two seem to be much better than everybody else. But Rovers are also the form team at the moment. Three successive wins to nil for them, unbeaten in three on the road. Uh, you think about Venkies and their sort of dunderheadedness in, in, in those early years. We don't get the ads with Michelle Salgado eating toxic looking chicken anymore. We just get kind of decent results and impressive football. Tony Mowbray deserves loads and loads of credit for that, surely. A lot of credit. He's a, he's a manager and a, and a person that I really admire. I think he um, last year had a really tough end to the season. I think there was probably a stage... Um, maybe not right at the death of the season, but but in the in the back end and the running towards it, where people would have been looking and wondering whether or not he would keep his job because of the poor run that they were on. 
But I think the way that he freshened the group up over the summer, I think he's still certainly a manager with incredible amount of experience, but still continues to work with his players and develop players and improve the the the, the group and the and, and the way that they play. And, and like you said there about the way that they counter attack, they've become a bit of a different proposition. They were a team last year that were a lot more aggressive and and and, and on the front foot a little bit more. But I think that like I say they've they've come at it with a bit of a different approach this year, which he probably felt he needed to with the with the with the ending to last season. Uh, and I think they've been incredibly impressive. I think, like you say, that with that poor run, average run that, that, that maybe Bournemouth are on at the moment, they'll be looking at this as a really good opportunity to get that step closer to, to the top end of the table, get that little bit closer to the teams that are in and around the top and, and continue to give themselves a platform to, to continue what's been a, a really good season for them so far. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Sam, if you could have one to put in the QPR team, just one, out of Solanke or BBD, who are you picking? Um, well, he's ex-Chelsea, Solanke, isn't he? So, have to be BBD. And I would imagine if you, you know, hordes of Chilean, if I said that right? Yeah, you yeah, have, very impressive. Supporters, natives are coming over to West London, probably a better chance of them finding a, a restaurant to, to suit their needs. Good logic, like it. Uh, right, we're going to build a bet builder with Paddy Powers. Bet builder uh, makes sense, doesn't it? Producer Abby's here to help us with that. Abby, from the weekend's games, I'd like Preston to beat Barnsley, please. What are the odds on that? The odds are Preston are four to five third favourites in this one. I'm on the wrong page because I was interested by uh, Luton and Fulham. Uh, if you want over two and a half goals, that is also four to five out of interest. I'll get you those uh, Barnsley odds as well as they face Preston. Uh, Barnsley are 10 to three, the draw 12 to five, but Preston to be Barnsley four to five. All right, we'll carry on with that as the show goes on. Next, we'll have a look at League One and League Two. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show. Some fixtures that caught our eye in Leagues 1 and 2. We'll start with Sunderland against Plymouth. If you heard the Totally Football Show on Monday, you'll know Daniel Storey's making the pilgrimage from Plymouth to Sunderland on an Argyle supporters coach. Uh, if Daniel and his new friends get lucky with the traffic, they shouldn't take them more than six and a half hours each way. Eek. Uh, Steve Schumacher then, Ryan Lowe's replacement to Argyle. Uh, forgive me for being a negative Nancy Ross, but but history's not exactly littered with examples of, of number twos being appointed and, and it working long term. Were you surprised that they went so quickly with that? Because it, it wasn't like they would have had an inkling that Ryan Lowe was going to go to Preston because McAvoy only got sacked earlier in the week. Could they have maybe said, give Schumacher a couple of games and then and then you know see who applies for the job? They seem fairly certain that this is the right way to go. I can familiarise with that comment, Matt, to be honest, about number two is not having the same success as the previous one. But um, I think um, I, 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 the way I looked upon it was it was it was proactive and very bold in the way that they they made that appointment. So 
I think the natural thing to do, and, and some would claim that the sensible approach would have been to have put him in interim charge. Um, I suppose if you're looking at that from Schumacher's perspective, he's obviously thrown his hat in the ring and, and said that he wants the opportunity. And if then they're only going to give him the opportunity till the end of the season, there's every chance he probably would have said, right, well, I'll cut my losses and, 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 and off I go with Ryan Lowe. So I suppose if they value him, which I, I reading up yesterday, uh, the chief exec and, and, and different people that, that I read comments from were very positive about the way that Schumacher works, about how proactive he is on the training ground, about his relationship with the players. They obviously like what he's about and wanted to keep him. So I thought it was very bold that they come out and went, right, this is what's happening. This is the direction we're going in and we're going to see that see that through. But um, obviously, Sam will know better than any of us, but certainly when you do take that step from one position to the other, something does have to change. You know, you can continue to be the same personality and the same person with with and around the players, but you ultimately become the decision maker. So there has to be some definition and some change to it. So um, I think they've gone away from the norm of, of the interim opportunity, but I think circumstances and like I say, the fact that they probably really valued what Schumacher was about probably dictated that, you know, that they needed to be um, bold with the, with the speed at which they made the appointment. Um, but it's certainly not something that everyone does. He got off to a decent start getting a point away to MK Dons on Wednesday. Shoes off if you love shoey was the chant from the away end. Uh, as for Sunderland, Sam Lee Johnson needed all five fingers to wave to the supporters after they thrashed Morecambe on Tuesday. That, that was a good way to put Saturday's unpleasantness behind them. Yeah, uh, Ross was guilty of more than that in a technical area every game, let, let, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, no, I mean, that was nothing, was it? Absolutely nothing. I think he said that he'll take the disgruntled punter out for a drink or a bit of food and discuss it. Um, so he's he's made peace there and he's made peace with the majority, hasn't he, with that, that victory. And interesting hearing that he had these individual meetings with the players, Lyndon Gooch, um, who's not scored yet this season, but got two assists against Morecambe. So whatever he said to him has had a, an inspired effect. Showed Ross Stewart his previous twenty goals. He goes and gets a soundtrack goal. to music. That, was it? That video apparently. Yeah, you, oh. I was thinking maybe under pressure or something like that. If he couldn't or... get any more David Brent Lee Johnson, that's tremendous. <laughs> um, and uh, Alex Pritchard, which I, I like this one because he said, "I loved watching you play against Oxford." I think that was really the, the, the line he used the previous game, which would have done the trick for me. Um, I needed a bit of a cuddle before going out. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Um, obviously, you know, Morecambe at home, you're going to get stiffer tests with, with, with all respect, but it was a resounding victory. I think those wing-backs have still been the issue. So to switch Gooch from one side to the other um, seemed to do the trick. And it just looks like that, that front three of Pritchard supporting Broadhead and, and Stewart's bringing the best out in, in all of them. And without McGeady and thinking back Maguire's creativity that they no longer have, um, those three look look the business right now. So, yeah, n- nothing to concern me about Sunderland. They've had a wobble uh, a month or two ago when they got spanked heavily a few times, but good performance second half against Oxford and um, this was a terrific victory. So expect Plymouth to come and do what they did last night at MK Dons, have a lot of the ball and Sunderland will probably be content being um, secondary to the the ball possession, but they they've got real threats now. 
Uh, from the top of the table to the bottom, as Fleetwood and Gillingham square off in a meeting of two of the teams currently in the relegation zones. Contrasting fortunes for them in midweek. That was a good 3-0 win for Fleetwood against Bolton. Sam, Stephen Craney's first since he took over on an interim-slash-caretaker basis. Might that be enough for him to, to get the job full-time? It's been an awful long time, it seems, since they got rid of Simon Grayson. Yeah, I'm not so sure. They obviously got thumped at Accrington last weekend. But reading into that, it didn't sound like they had an early red card, which obviously changed the dynamic hugely of that game. It sounded like they were okay for, for periods. And that was a brilliant victory. And we know, we know conceding goals has been their issue. Last clean sheet before um, Tuesday night was the 16th of October against Crewe, which, you know, a game you'd expect them to win. So... They're always going to score goals. Um, they're really vibrant in attack. If people haven't seen it, the um, the Biggins' first goal is a brilliant goal. Callum Morton, who he's four goals, four assists now, but gives you so much. I can't believe really that Fleet were able to get him. I've loved him every time I've seen him. He's got a bit of everything about his game. He's athletic. He's um, aggressive. He can finish. Um, but th- that goal was particularly good. Him down the right-hand side. Then Garner could have shot. And he just teed up Biggins for a, a simple tap-in. So uh, Biggins, interestingly, three goals in the week. He had um, two in his previous 89 games, which I thought was was quite nice, playing a bit of a box-to-box role under Stephen Craney. So such a youthful team going forward, said it before, and he's handed a couple of um, youngsters' um, starts. Kyle Johnson right back uh, against Bolton. Kean Hayes has played the last two games, so relying on his knowledge of them from the under tw- under 23s, which is bold and and looks to have have paid off. So if they can tighten up defensively, uh, which this game I think is a good opportunity to do so because they'll be they'll have more goals in the side than Gillingham. Clearly, uh, I think they've had um, 14 different scorers this season. It could be another good good day for them. And yeah, still waiting to see who they appoint and waiting for Stephen Craney to come out and. And, and say, really, if he's uh, if he's interested in the gig. If you're the Gillingham player marking Biggins, just remember, he's behind you. That's a, <laughs> that's a Christopher Biggins panto joke. Might not make the final edit, that. Um, Ross, Gillingham, a couple of weeks ago, I said they were the most boring team in the EFL. They've responded by losing four on the bounce and scoring one goal in that time. I guess that's a little bit more interesting. Uh, the manager seems like he clearly doesn't want to be there. They are in the funk of all funks. What on earth can they do to end this miserable run? Well, what can you what can you do when when you when it when the perception is that the manager doesn't want to be there? You know, there's so many different things that point towards that. That that's from a you know motivation of the players for as a supporter turning up there at the at the moment. It, 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 it's, it's it's a real real uh, negative feel to all of it obviously they get Jackson sent off in the week um, always been a player that's quite important to to the way that they they attack and, and, and obviously certainly defend with his long throw those sorts of things he's going to be someone that, that they miss but I think when you look at the team at the moment it doesn't well, obviously, with a record, it doesn't stink of goals. But with the way that they're the way that they're playing, with a kindy up there, he, there's so many times it, that that he gets isolated. The whole feel to the way that they are approaching things at the moment seems very um, negative. I noticed in Tuesday night's game, they only named four subs. So again, you just look at it and you think to yourself, what, what or where is everybody trying to go? Because whatever the 
reason around the first team for there only being four subs named. There's a, there must be a group of youth team players and kids and people around the around the club with, that could have been given handed an opportunity to to have been on the bench on Tuesday night. So again, I, I, you know, hold my hands up if there was a um, a reason or rationale for that, for that happening. But it does. Um, it's just another another thing, another reason for the negativity that that clearly surrounds the club at the moment. So, you know, the recent run, the losses, the the lack of goals, the fact that they don't look a particular threat when they play. I think all these things thrown together just completely add uh, nothing but negativity, really. And it'd be struggle. It's a real struggle to try and find what the what the positive will be to hang on to to start to turn the run and, and results around. But Dane Oliver, one of those injured players, been enjoying his Twitter output over the last week. After the uh, defeat in midweek, he tweeted simply FFS with a face palm emoji. Uh, good stuff. Right, League Two wise, we like the look of Mansfield versus Salford at Field Mill. You'll note, listener, we go old school with the stadium names on this podcast. Uh, Mansfield, Sam, it's almost time for me to ask my annual can they make the playoffs question. What's about what's been behind this remarkable turnaround? Eight wins from nine after going 14 without. Well, Nigel Clough must be absolutely loving life at the moment because he's hardly got any players, yet they, they keep on winning, which is, I'm sure, delightful for him when he's going in the, the, the training ground because it could have been a real mess. He had huge defensive issues recently, which meant Ollie Hawkins was playing as a centre-half, which he has done before throughout his career, but still strange. John Joe O'Toole still playing at a centre-half, more of a central midfielder. Uh, previously. Now, hasn't got any strikers um, other than Jordan Bowery. No Danny Johnson, no Hawkins, no Reese Oates, who have been essentially, that's all their firepower missing. So to, to win on Tuesday night again was incredible. And he, he said as much after the game. They scored, they were brilliant for half an hour and then basically um, had to soak up a lot of Carlisle pressure. Bishop had to be called upon to make a number of saves, hit the woodwork, Carlisle be scratching their heads how they didn't get anything. So to answer your question, I probably still don't see it, but I think they'll definitely pick up more points in the second half of the season if that's a way of getting off the fence slightly. But they need to get some players back. Um, Ollie Clark, the captain's missing as well. Um, but yeah, he's done brilliantly to, to turn it around. And I see it improving. I just think there's probably seven have I done my maths right? Seven better sides in a in a division. Would you have Salford down as one of those better sides, Ross? Mini revival of their own. Two points behind the Stags after going unbeaten in four, but they, their consistency doesn't ever seem to last for very long. Yeah, I think I would have done at the start of the season. I think um, my concern for Salford is consistent goals, is people that are going to score enough to get them on, on a run and, and closer to the playoffs. Uh, I think when you look at currently at the moment, the top goal scorers, Thomas Asante and Lund, or Lund with four, um, doesn't suggest that they're prolific enough to really keep those, like get that consistent run of results and wins that they're going to need in order to go on that type of run to get, get in and around the top seven. So um, my, my guess right now, my prediction right now would be not, um, I think it will be a season for Salford that continues in the manner that it is where they'll have those mini little two-game run, three-game runs of, of, of good results because of the quality of some of the players that they've got. But I'm not sure if they've quite got enough in the final third to really push themselves and 
and, and go on a run in, in, in the league to, to push themselves closer to the top end of the table. It's only the fourth ever, ever meeting between the sides. The home team won both games last season. Right, let's get our bet builder selections in uh, and get this finished then. Sam, what's your pick for, from the weekend's games, please? Um, I'm going to go for Fleetwood to beat Gillingham. Okay, one of the games we've just spoken about. I'm going to go all 1970s on you. Gillingham have been up to Rotherham in a week. Back home, no sleep, back on the coach. 2-0 reverse. At least they got jolly old Steve Evans singing songs and you know, <laughs> handing out the quiz sheets on the, on the way up and down again. Uh, Ross, let's get your selection as well, please. Yeah, I think there's some big games at the bottom of the league in League Two this weekend. Walsall, Colchester, Stevenage, Carlisle. But I'm going to go for one in a different area of the league. I'm going to go for Sutton to beat Bradford away. Lovely. Abby, give us some odds on those two and a pick of your own, please. So Fleetwood, unsurprisingly, they are the favourites. They're 19 to 20. If you want that specific 2-0, Sam, that's 8 to 1. Uh, as for Ross's pick in League 2, uh, Sutton to beat Bradford. It's bold choice. It's 9 to 4. Bradford are 23 to 20. Um, and uh, before we went on, Sam was toying up between whether he's going to choose Fleetwood or Portsmouth. So I've chosen Portsmouth for my selection, uh, which is 8, eight to 15 to beat Morecambe. So that all comes together at 16.49 to 1. Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. And when the fun stops, stop. All right. After there was almost a duck invasion at Fleetwood midweek. to know weird ways that you would like to stop play in a football game um sam i actually remember a dog stopping play at forest against man city in the 1990s and the 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 uproar in the crowd the sheer joy at watching a dog run across a football pitch was something to to behold have you picked something similar no i haven't but there is i think jude the cat at qpr which i'm sure has probably invaded the the surface on occasion now i'm in the wake of all the the thumpings sunderland um, Cambridge at Cheltenham uh, Rotherham I could go on in the week uh, what about a goalkeeper with the um, the showboat in nature to to order a delivery at 5 nil <laughs> up and I'd want it delivered on a bike I wouldn't want it to be a, a motor vehicle I'd want a bike around the side and I want him to to not go for a pizza because that's probably doable, isn't it? So maybe, a, I don't know, some sushi where he's got to get a bit of soy sauce out of his water bottle and, and set up camp to really take the Michael out of the opposition. <laughs> oh, I really like that. That tickled me. Uh, interesting that you call it soy sauce like my wife does as well. I've no idea how to pronounce it's, that. It's, it's just one of those things that no I've got no interest in uh, ever changing. I'm just going to do it incorrectly for the rest of my days. Okay, fine. Uh, Ross, what have you come up with? I'm not sure it's on the same level as that. I experienced the squirrel stopping a game at Orient once. <laughs> it ran across the pitch and stopped and then stopped and then started running. All the crowd started cheering and then it stopped again and it seemed to be on the pitch forever. Uh, my was a similar one we talked about, the ducks, but thinking about the, f- the possibility of lions entering the pitch at Millwall, it'd be quite an interesting concept to see how their fans would match up against the... <laughs> <laughs> a number of lions out on the pitch. So that was some some way I thought about maybe trying to uh, to instigate some interest. Excellent. Um, I've gone for. Let's imagine Neil Warnock's back in the game. He's got his bum bag full of signed pictures, but he leaves it open. They blow onto the pitch. 
One goes on to the referee's face. He can't see what's going on. He's got to stop the game. And afterwards, Warlock's, well, they always tell me I get a bit too close to the ref, don't they? Well, I've got right up in his face today, aren't I, lads? <laughs> um, and much hilarity would ensue. Um, I feel like we're, we're getting a bit thin on the ground for these end questions, but nevertheless, <laughs> we'll crack on with it, uh, particularly on Monday's pod, when we'll be joined by Derby defender Curtis Davis. That'll be fun, won't it? Oh, it'll be all over that, Kurt. He'll, he'll love that. Uh, Ross, many thanks for your time to get today. We'll speak to you again soon. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks to Abby. Thanks to Sam. Thanks to you as well, listener. We'll speak to you again on Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.